Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks for joining us at the start of Christmas week. Oh, Mike David here, feeling festive with Murph. Hey there, on And Ken. Hey, on, how you doing? You're in the mood, Murph? Christmas spirit? Of all course that? I'm in the mood. Christmas, it's, it's Christmas week. You know, sometimes you have to think, you know, once you get over the Christmas, but I mean, we're in it now. You know, it's like a, a, week, a, a week from now, it's like the... It's all over. I mean, we've got 360 days. I never to quite go. understand that. Once, once, once we get over the Christmas concept, is that just once you get to mid-December, you kind of clock out work-wise, and you think I'll sort out all my, I'll get onto my to-do list once we get over the Christmas. Yeah, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no point. Let's just wait, you know, till January, and then we'll reassess our entire lives and where we're going. But for December, it's probably best just to focus on the here just and to now. Get over the Christmas. Get over the Christmas. That's what it's all about. Ken, you're feeling Christmassy. You've been listening to Christmas FM, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, very festive out. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can't hear it in my voice. Some people like to express their festive spirit with pressured speech and bulging eyes. Uh, I just express it by acting the same way as uh, as I usually do. Well, uh, funny enough, when we were speaking about the toy of the year, the what was it called again? The worry. The worry eater. The worry eater. I mean, you weren't a fan of that at all. You just felt that, that this is a big teddy bear in which kids place their worries. They've disappeared then by the following morning. You talk through. You felt this was over-parenting. Yeah. So I wonder the whole concept of Christmas. Is that, how do you feel, how do you feel about you know, just that whole parent-child relationship at the time of year? Is it a little much? Um, well, I suppose it's, it's one of the only times of year when it is appropriate. To parent the kid. Yeah, yeah. So. Shower it with love and affection. <laughs> it is. To shower your well, child. Well, him or her... He or she. One of the books that featured heavily Murphy in our sports book podcast was Cake by Shane Kern. Ah, and yeah. the good news is we're talking to the man himself on the show today. It's tremendous, son. It's tremendous because Shane Kern is like myself in a lot of ways. He's a warrior for the West of Ireland. So you're talking about John McGarren, your Jim Kearney's, your WB Yates's, your Willie Joe Padden's, your giant haystacks. WB Yates? Well, it's like a... Come on. He lived there. Yeah, give me that one, will you? Well, I mean, he had a, I he had I just a house it, there. I, listen, there's a reason I put it in the middle there, Ken, all right? Because, you know, you know, he's not strictly speaking. Well, I mean, his heart was in Sligo. He's buried in Sligo. Yeah. Doesn't get any more final than that. He wouldn't have buried himself there if, you know, he didn't really people, love the place. So. There's a, a lot of people were buried up there in those lonely hills, all right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Shade Curd has at his heart the Western Ireland. He does. He loves to campaign uh, on behalf of the West Round, to talk up the West Round, and to just be generally a man of the West. But don't worry, if you're from the eastern part of the country, you'll also enjoy this interview. It's not just about Galway really? and Roscommon oh, and those okay. kind of places. We're also going to talk to Shane Horgan about Shane the... Horgan. Yeah, that's the man we're going to talk to <laughs> about the concussion issue that's forced Johnny Sexton out for at least a couple of months. Uh, Sexton himself has talked a bit about it. He was on, uh, on last night again. 
uh, just at the RT Sports Personality Year Award, saying that he's he's just gone through the protocols, he's feeling a bit better, but um, quite worrying. You know, Racing's assistant coach now, Ron O'Gara, saying at this stage, this was speaking to RT, uh, I think it could have been on Friday evening, at this stage he's not anywhere near returning to play in terms of the headaches, passing a ball, running, so that's not a good sign. Apparently one in three sessions, so he does a couple of sessions and he's fine, then he does another one and he starts getting headaches and these sorts of issues. So you'd have to feel he's a substantial way to go before he's even contemplating hitting a tackle shield. That was from O'Gara, uh, which is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty bad scene. I suppose it is good that Racing Metro have actually pulled him out, or that mm. he, whether he's the one who's contacted him and said, listen, I'm just not playing. My, my uh, health is far more important than um, playing a few games for you guys. And he's going to have to miss a couple of uh, miss a couple of games for Ireland as well. We'll talk to Shane Horton about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there are there are different ways of looking at it. As you say, it's uh, in ways it's good. It's being taken seriously and all the rest. But it's not a thing you can set a date to. You know, you can't. You know, like people are saying that he's going to miss a first Six Nations game or a second Six Nations game. At this stage, you just hope that he gets it right. You know, Ken Liverpool Arsenal. Yeah, your um, reflections. Well, I I was amazed that Liverpool didn't manage to win. I wonder what they have to do to win one of these games. I mean, because they they did actually play quite well. I mean, they completely dominated the game, and yet barely avoided actually losing it. I mean, it was you know they had this this problem. I mean, I remember um, the, was it Neville saying about the Liverpool uh, game at Old Trafford the previous week? They're just jabs. Somehow or other, they just can't seem to muster a meaningful shot or you know a dangerous shot um there's just a lot of um sort of uh, you know messing about in the penalty area culminating in a weekly dribble shot straight at which the goalkeeper is able to pick up and uh, there was quite a lot of that again so i don't know it's it you kind of feel as though they might actually be on the cusp of of getting somewhere the problem that they have is that they're already so far behind that it's quite difficult to see them getting yeah i really game. enjoyed it though but and even from arsenal's point of view they were terrible it was it was such a toothless performance by Arsenal, and mm. yet they still almost won the game. See, that's, the, that's the thing. Arsenal were, were atrocious. atrocious. And even at 2 1, 35% possession, they didn't get on the ball. When they did get on the ball, in fairness, it did actually cause a bit of damage. Scores, scored their two goals. But it was so. Of all the performances that, that they put in over the last few years, it was so uh, opposite to everything Arsene Wenger's about. There was no attempt to win the ball, there was no great success in keeping it when they had it. And then even when they had a lead. In fairness to Arsenal, at least oftentimes they've gone down blazing, uh, all guns blazing. They've gone for another goal, maybe and conceded. In this case, mm. they were just, uh, Wenger said, talked a bit about it afterwards that really he wasn't too happy with that. That, that if you're sitting on a 2 1 lead, his whole philosophy is you're sitting on a 2 1 lead, you could concede an equaliser quite easily, and that's actually what happened. Yeah, although I think the way that Arsenal played it uh, was probably the right thing to do. I think that they would have been more likely to concede another goal had they conceded two goals, had they tried to attack more. Um, the sight of Kieran Gibbs taking the ball to the corner flag in the 79th minute of the game uh, instead of racing yeah. headlong up the field, losing the ball and then having Liverpool ping a ball directly to where he should have been. Yeah. It was kind of counterintuitive on a number of levels. Well, I remember that. I mean, they... they uh, it was a little early to be running to the corner flag. I was thinking of Thierry Henry actually on a couple of occasions. In that. First of all, when Gibbs took the ball to the corner flag with loads of time still going, Thierry Henry did that in the FA Cup final against Southampton, I remember. Um, but also, I was claiming that Thierry Henry's handball was quite unusual because it was seamlessly integrated into a move rather than something which is directly trying to score or prevent a goal. Raheem Sterling, yeah. Raheem Sterling does exactly does a Thierry Henry on it, uh, running onto the onto a ball, gets there before Chesney and just dinks it past him with his hand before crossing the ball. Brilliantly disguised, I must say. That was one of those ones. Oh, yeah. Do you see the replay? Oh, yeah. I don't think the referee did see it. Did no. the referee see it? No, no, no. 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 So uh, he crossed it in and I think it was headed over the bar by, by Gerard. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I apologise for the nonsense that I subjected you all to last week. <laughs> lots more Liverpool, lots more apologies from Ken in the football podcast already out there today. Shane Horgan joins us now to chat Shane about Johnny Sexton. Four concussions in the last, uh, this year he's had, he's out for, well they're talking 12 weeks until February 14th at the earliest. So he's going to miss a game against Italy for Ireland. Must be a doubt for the next game against France and misses at least 10 club matches by the looks of it, including the ones that he's already had to sit out. How worried would you be about this? Well you're worried for the individual more than the rugby player and, and when you hear about uh, head injuries as a concern, when you hear about four uh, concussions in, in one year, 
that's a legitimate concern. Uh, now, that coupled with the fact that, as you said, uh, Rassing have suggested he's going to be out until at least the 14th of February, which again is a long layout. We don't know the process for um, getting back to play, but I don't think this is a situation where you're worried about when the individual get, gets back to play, you're worried about um, that he fully recovers from the injury. It's uh, it's not like a soft tissue injuries, ligament injuries, or even a you know a break. These things are are uh, worked at, and how fast can you get back on the pitch? You know, we need our player back. You know, what what sort of almost what risk can we take to get him back to make sure uh, he comes back and plays for us as quickly as possible? That's not uh, the process with a, a head injury. It can't be. Uh, I'm I'm happy that he's out to the 14th of February in some ways because they're obviously treating treating it very seriously in in Racing, but. Uh, but just for that reason, uh, if he's out until the 14th of February, it now being just um, you know in middle of uh, middle of December, you know they must be concerned. He must be concerned, and uh, you know as long as it's been treated in the right way and it's being monitored and and there's no risk with it, then you know get him right as as an individual first, and then if you know if he's right to play rugby at some time, no matter how far in that the future is, then you know that's that's great. But it's it's uh, personal health and well-being first when it comes to to head injuries. Yeah, and it's probably only in the last few years, really, that the last couple of years maybe that this has um, been properly highlighted in rugby. And there's still a lot of debate about whether or not the current protocols are the correct ones. But have you come across uh, these sort of length lengths of absences for players? Uh, have you come across players who've had to miss a couple of months because of concussion? I have, you know. I know John Fogarty, um, he, before he had to retire as a result of, of his um, head injuries, um, he had a couple of substantial breaks from rugby. I think, well, yeah, Marshall in the north as well, he, he's had a, a couple of substantial breaks. Um, I don't know enough about um, the process and the, the you know the, the the damage or how a how the long term effects of concussion work to, to to give you an informed answer. But you'd certainly be worried that you know if you're having to take two months off, you know how does it work? Are you back in entirely? Um, are you back to the same position as you were before before you had your initial concussion? You know from the limited knowledge that I know, it's you know you become more susceptible to concussion the more concussions you have and the thing about you know rugby at the moment it's it's not going to get any softer it's only getting more fierce and um so you know that's a concern not just for johnny but for all rugby players uh, you know who take knocks in the head did you uh, suffer much yourself um i didn't suffer from from huge you know i would say what would, would be defined as concussions as in i didn't have many of the um um, symptoms, as in you know the the loss of memory or illness, but you know a couple of times in in my career. But it would have only been a couple of times in my career would have had headaches after games from taking knocks. Um, I would have had a lot of deja vu's on the pitch, very very many of them, probably too many. But uh, I was I was lucky. I, I didn't um, I didn't suffer the the the, the same number of uh, concussions that seems to be more prevalent today. And and I think we do have to acknowledge that. It is more prevalent in even in the last five years. Uh, it's not just that it's we've been discussing it more. There have been more people with concussions that has affected not just their uh, being able to play rugby, but it's affected their life outside rugby as well. I don't think in the earlier part of my career there was. That may be a symptom of the size of the individuals that are playing the game. You know, the speed and the ferocity that the rugby is now being played at. Um, but no, I, I think you know I was, I was quite lucky. I was spared throughout my career to not to take too many knocks. But at the same time, um, you know, I think you're probably more aware of of what the symptoms of concussion are now than you were um, at the early days of rugby. Yeah, and certainly clubs. I mean, the point you raised about Racing Metro is an interesting one in, in that they at least have been proactive here, and they're they're just saying, listen, there's no point messing around. This is going to be a, a reasonable break from the game for our player. Because one of the worries that we all had with Sexton going over there, and maybe it has been borne out at, at times for uh, much less serious injuries, soft tissue injuries, these kind of things, was that he would be flogged a little bit over there. and Maybe they wouldn't look after him in the way that, that he might get looked after in the IRFU. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, that, that's probably not bad. I think though, with with head injuries, I think there's become there's a realization, and it's only just creeped in. You know, I think it's only just creeped into rugby uh, that, and at a union level and a club level in France, that there is a duty of care to these individuals uh, that if it isn't um, upheld, that there could be serious uh, repercussions, not just for the player, because I know that sounds terrible, but 
in these circumstances in the past, player welfare isn't wasn't the primary concern. And I don't even think you know today. I don't know if primary um, if um, individual. Um, concern is the, is the primary one, but they are susceptible to to lawsuit, and they've seen that from the United States. They've seen the the massive deal that's been done in the FN, um, NFL, and they are worried about leaving themselves open to um, to litigation. And they rightly they should be um, they should be wary of that. Now, as a byproduct of that, the individual gets looked after a bit better. So I don't really care how it came about and the morality of the way the way it came about, but the fact that players are being looked at after you know much better when it comes to uh, head injuries that's the most important thing and absolutely is just in a sporting context though i know no player likes to sit out any games really certainly not 10 or so games in a row of all players johnny sexton strikes me as somebody who might be a bit frustrated kicking his heels as ireland start their six nations campaign yeah they will and everyone would be disappointed but you know what i think there is a realization um because of the amount of attention this subject has gotten recently, that it's not something to be messed with. You know, players, uh, you know, since since the first guy to kick a, a ball around, have been trying to fool coaches into getting them onto the pitch. Um, because you know, you play, I'd say you played ninety percent of your 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 um, games at professional level with some sort of knock. Being a hundred percent is very unusual. But I think we've moved beyond that when it comes to head injuries because the seriousness um, and the potential for massive problems into the future uh, is it's a horrible specter. So I think you know this, Johnny Sexton is a smart guy, and you know no matter how frustrated you are or how disappointed you are, your you know your mental health and your overall well-being is it's much more important than anything else. And he'll be aware of that. I think his primary concern will be that. You know, not not potentially. You know, when he can get back or how quickly he can get back. That's not a concern. You know, I, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a it's a major concern. The major the major concern is, you know, can I get back healthy and then well, uh, you know, will the the um, amalgamation of of the medical concussions I've had will that maybe ref, you know prevent me from from carrying on? That's a huge concern. Not when I get back on the field. Shane, we'll leave it there. Listen, great stuff. Have a good Christmas. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Mel. In the final round of the game. And Yeah, I think it does seem to be pretty clear that players, certainly when the in the cold light of day, I guess, uh, when they have a chance to sit down and they're, they're dealing with these issues related to concussion, and probably, I'm sure, Johnny Sexton's players read about all these issues that happen in the NFL, these long-term issues. Uh, they think about it and they, they work out a way, and maybe that can, that, that can be the case of being brave enough to talk to your club about sitting out a fair bit of time. But when it's in the heat of the action, I still think the player's not the person to make the call. Uh, we can see even in that same game, Conor Murray, we ended up coming back on, actually, but he was disputing whether he should be taken off. Most players, a lot of players, certainly in rugby, where manliness and toughness and all these things are an, an integral part of the game, they're still probably not going to make the right decision at those points. Which uh, just Yeah, I think it. the thing has moved so quickly, though, that, uh, like you're talking about in the last 18 months, I think, where concussion has really started to be taken very, very seriously. As you say, I think much easier on a Tuesday to say, right, I'm still feeling nauseous from that hit in the head. Let's take me out of the fire line here for two weeks. Um, but I mean, I, like, that's, that was such a huge sea change that I, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't say all, always in the heat of the moment a player is going to think like that. I think, you know, it's changed so quickly that in the next year or so, hopefully you will get to a stage where a player can just say, I think really the, the big culture change has been people taking concussions very seriously as an injury as opposed to kind of finding out more about the... You know, basically, it was, okay, I've, I'm feeling a bit dazed. Let's just get back into it. It's just, you know, it's just a bit of a head knock, you know? Yeah. Whereas now, 
concussion is about the scariest thing that you can say to a sports person, I think. You know, and that has changed even in the last two years. So I think I would hope that in the next even in the next couple of seasons, when a player feels like there's even a doubt during a game he's going to be able to say, right, I've got to go, I've got to go here. Murph, I'm, I'm always interested in that topic, but I mean, the real controversy in rugby this weekend is undoubtedly mm. the fact that loads of lads from Limerick and Cork are having to put on posh English accents to try to snag tickets for Munster's big game against what Saracens. Is, what is this thing all about? Well, what I, is, heard, what, I heard something about this. What it's all about, Ken, is that there's been a new... Saracens are playing Munster right. uh, in Saracens' home ground in January. Huge game in the Champions Cup group. They've released a, another batch of tickets, so they've given Munster their allocation. They've sold their, uh, their first batch of tickets to their own fans. Now they put out another batch of tickets. What they don't want is Munster fans getting their greasy paws on them and creating something akin to an atmosphere at mm. this game. So they say this is well, everyone's been taken by one line. So I'll read the whole the whole thing. It's not one of those ones where the rest of the statement rubbishes the one line that's been mm. taken out of context. This one line is in very much in this context. Bona fide Saracen supporters who've neither bought a season ticket. This is from the club website who've neither bought a season ticket nor purchased tickets for two or more matches at Allianz Park so far this season, may apply by calling the Supporter Services office at, gives the number, leaving a message outside office hours and their request will be considered. Callers with an Irish accent will be treated with suspicion. Ah, uh, it's just a joke, isn't it? Oh, I don't think so. I think so, yeah. They couldn't, it couldn't not uh, This is the same club, Ken, who a couple of seasons ago, Munster were playing there trying to create an atmosphere and they kept blaring out. Well, this is actually done in quite a lot of grounds now, but this was definitely seen as a way to drown out the Munster supporters. They just kept blaring out uh, horrible music at any opportunity after Munster scored scored points and weren't doing it uh, when their own team was scoring. Yeah, but to treat it with suspicion, it's like, oh, you rascally Munster fans, we're on to you. You know, we know if uh, you know if someone calls up the Irish accent, they're unlikely to be a Saracens fan. And you know, play fair. This is for the. Uh, this is really for the Saracens fan. No, Ken, this is I don't an think outrage. I don't think they're. I don't think it's. A, <laughs> You're a missing real, the point entirely. It's just. A, it's just crafty, a crafty, cack-handed attempt at humour yeah. from. Uh, from. I don't Saracens know. Though. I mean, I. Th- I think that uh, you know that the uh, we, clubs that, have in the past gone to these sorts of lengths to ensure that Munster fans don't completely take over their crappy yeah. little ground. Well, I mean, are they entitled? To, I mean, it's a cack-handed attempt at humour with a clear discriminatory message. Yeah. I mean, the seri- on a serious note, we will ignore your application as long as uh, this, the you know, as long as we actually sell the section out. In, yeah. You know, you will go don't to the back call of the us, queue. Don't call us during office hours because we might have to tell you that we have tickets available <laughs> or not. If you call us outside After of office, office hours, hours yeah. then it's a lot easier for us to fiddle this whole thing and make sure that you don't get a ticket. Yeah. So, um, I like, I would be inclined to bombard the Saracens landline number with calls non-stop throughout the day during office hours to try and make sure that someone can give you an answer as to whether they're discriminating against Irish people purely on the basis of their ethnicity. Yeah. And if you can get that answer, then I think I'd, we'd probably all be pretty interested to hear them say yeah. that. I mean, you can't, you, that's, that would be illegal, but you can, surely, dis, you can discriminate against people based on who they're supporting, right? I mean, you have home and away sections. I mean, that's, that's a kind of common practice. It's oh. definitely not illegal anyway in, um, in football states Might in be, the UK. If it ever got tested. Could could be. I mean, if, if you want to take this to the European Court of Human Rights. <laughs> this is where Munster fans, results. you've heard it now, take it there and, and sort this. Listen, issue. you've been great going into Europe over the last 15 years. We're just asking you to now take that traveller, that travelling spirit all the way to, to the, European, <laughs> the European Court of Human Rights. The yeah. Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is already out, Ken. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I want down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. Well, how to keep your players happy with Jose Mourinho? Just don't. <laughs> don't bother. Just don't bother. It's not important for them to be happy. Uh, there's a lot of evidence to show that happy players are, in fact, less productive. Uh, than unhappy players with a point to prove. Uh, we'll talk a bit about that. And also, what it is about South American strikers that makes them so much better than everybody else. Uh, we'll if you can ignore Fred at the World Cup. If you can ignore Fred, a South American striker with an English, a 19th century English name uh, who, who played much like a 19th century Englishman. 
when we compiled our list of the best Irish sports book this year. Cake by the Roscommon GA legend Shane Curran slotted nicely into the top three. It's a cracking read. I've been looking forward to getting a chance to chat about it before Christmas and uh, delighted now to welcome him into studio. Shane, how are you? Thanks once again, Owen. I'm absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to the festivities, yeah. Good to hear, good to hear. We, yep. did, uh, we did talk quite a lot about this book last week. Uh, what I loved about it was... <sighs> I haven't read too many books that capture quite as well the what it's like inside a dressing room. I mean, this is kind of what we look at sports books for, what, uh, the depraved nature of it in some ways, but just the, the warts and all account. Is that something you deliberately strove for? No, it just actually probably happened by accident. I think um, I think every woman's fantasies uh, about walking into a male dressing room are completely uh, thrown out the water. Blown out the water there, yeah. Absolutely. Um, sure. No, it just kind of happened. I, I think um, sometimes... Um, when you're recollecting uh, stories of I've been in dressing rooms and obviously I've been in quite a few of them over the last 25, 30 years and with Tommy as well. Um, That's Tommy from, Conlon who Tommy, wrote the book with me. Tommy yeah. wrote the book with me and uh, funnily enough we're kind of uh, both probably creatures of one nature. We, we're, we're from the west of Ireland and uh, we understand I suppose a lot of the, the animalistic nature of, of people in that part <laughs> of the world. And... Uh, it was funny, you know, we probably got some of our best stuff sitting down having a few pints and, and just chatting and, and um, um, you know, that particular description of it came to me um, probably uh, after copious numbers, a number of, of, of pints of Guinness uh, in, a, in, a, in a local establishment and it just kind of flowed and, and really and truly I suppose when we got deeper into it, um, you know, the... the uh, the description is, is probably pretty apt for yeah, anybody I mean, you, that has been in there in that particular environment. You talk about this charming group of thick and ignorant, smart and witty, hairy, smelly, ugly bastards that make up your average Irish team. <laughs> it's clear that you have an amazing fondness for the people you've played with, for that environment though. You only retired in the, in the last few months at, at 43 years of age. Jeez, I couldn't be any more than three of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many boxes I tick myself, but um, <laughs> uh, look, yeah, I, 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 I can honestly say, looking back on it, lads, that... Um, Every single minute of it was a joy, and I you 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 do forget you can't you can't recount every minute of it. But everything that happened uh, in in that particular time, and I think for most people that play any form of sport, be it amateur or professional, I think there is a sense of enjoyment uh, if you if you if you can walk away from it and say, well, I've done my bloody best um, for for every cause that I've that I've been involved in. Uh, you can walk away with your head held high and and look back on it with fun and fondly, you know. Yeah, and I think that the as Owen describes there everyone has different roles in a dressing room your role in your dressing room was to be this unbelievably positive presence D- like did, did you think of it like that or was was that just how you were always and ever that you were just a, a positive guy in the I dressing think somebody I think sometimes people uh, I suppose if you're well known and, and, and you're a personality in your own right you're pigeonholed into a certain category um, and, and it's true that my personality lends itself possibly to a bit of crack and a bit of fun but at the same time very serious when it has to be as well so people probably wouldn't see that side of me in a lot of cases um, and, and when you go into that dressing room uh, mostly around the training side of things more freely it's it's a case of you know you have the guys that come in with the long faces and you have the guys that are just after having a row with the girlfriend or they're you know they're after being stitched up with something at work or there's something not going right and and you know sometimes you have to have a bit of banter you have to have a laugh you have to enjoy it for what it is and, and I think sometimes um, a lot of players and um, performances suffer um, when when managers try to take over the personality and, and try to kind of get them to conform to a way that they think they should be, but it's totally alien to them. And uh, you don't get the best performances out of people when you do that. And um, you don't create the environment for, for a team to be successful either uh, when you try to manufacture something something that's not, not right or not real. You touched on uh, a central theme of this book, I think, and that's the, the image that people would have of you, uh, which you don't necessarily dispute, the madcap eccentric is uh, the phrase that's used in there and, and that people would use. But you did say you do say that you, you're serious about it as well and serious about your sport. There's one story that maybe captures your attitude. This is the 1989 Connacht minor final against Galway when you, your team are a point down, you're awarded a penalty. And this is probably well known in GA and Roscommon circles, but maybe not necessarily uh, countrywide. So if you can just tell us the story, first of all. Of what well, it's, it's a story that's been long told, though, and I'm afraid it, it probably is probably known, known, known in, in, in every zoo now in the country, I think. But anyhow, um, it was one of those things. You know, you just, it's, 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 
a moment in time. Um, and and it, I'm kind of fortunate maybe that it happened to me. I probably would be very unfortunate that it had to, happened to me if I'd missed the penalty. Uh, that's the thing about it. I would be in outer Ecuador or Colombia or somewhere for the last 25 years. But... Uh, it was one of those things that you know there was it was a calculated risk, um, you know, to try and win a game where the underdogs were were playing serious favourites and uh, a lot of big Galway players playing when those team Sean Ogdeper being one of them, uh, who went on to win senior medals after. But um, you know, I think maybe it probably acted as a kind of a. a I don't know, a, a mirror of how I was going to be over the next 25 years. Well, you years see that your teammate about to knock this ball over the bar and you think... Mm. Oh, Roscoe, you're a point down. You're a point down. Knock the penalty over the bar. To take a the replay draw, take and that's replay. it. And you think yeah, that's and I, I never see... I, and over the years, I've never seen the sense in that. And I, you know, I think in, in sporting terms, um, when opportunities come to create and make a difference, you've got to take those chances. And what better chance than a penalty, in my mind, uh, to to, uh, to win, a, win a game? I mean, you've only got to beat a fella uh, that's standing in front of you 14 yards and stick it either side of him and generally goes in the back of the net. Some of us missed him purely. But in particular, I mean, I mean, I remember obviously Carl Mannion, my, my own teammate, um, and, and at the start of Bridget's great run, uh, it was back in 2005, and, and we played a, a county semi final against Strokestown, and the exact same similar incident uh, came, but Carl was the nominated penalty taker, and he, he stuck it in the back of the net. And that says more about the sportsman than it does, and the mentality than it does about any particular incident. I think he was looking over his shoulder, though, just to get <laughs> well, he's a long way back. Full 120 <laughs> yards spread for I was, I was, I was too old even at that stage <laughs> to run the length of the pitch, but I think sometimes, you know, you have to you have to take opportunities when they come and, and that's the same in any walk of you life. You present that though as quite a logical reasoned decision. <laughs> was it was that what was going through your head at the time? Because, yeah, because well, it, you yeah. gotta remember there is a guy about to take the penalty here. It's not as though it's your decision and you're which is overruling your manager. You're literally t- I think you, you, you make you make the point that Sean O'Dupoir says this is going over the bar and you're saying no it's not. Brush the guy aside, stick it into the top corner. Were you thinking logically at that moment? Well some would say no, but in my mind yes, I was thinking very logically. Uh, and I didn't understand or didn't really realise that there would be the consequences that there was out of the actual particular action because to me it was just stick the bloody ball in the back of the net and we've won the game. Um, and that's the way I thought. Um, and it's the subsequent events you don't have any control over then. Um, it was like the uh, first story on the, the 9 o'clock news that night. It was, yeah, absolutely. Like an absolutely huge story that basically a county, a county council board member walks into the, the winning three, bank. Three of them as well, you know. The three of them, Typical yeah. GA man, you know, yeah, the big yeah. rosy cheeks and the big belly and the <laughs> half the shirt open at the bottom and dangling outside his trousers and the rubber belt holding him up. <laughs> That's so really walks, it, you know. He walks into, the, walks into the, the post-match banquet, grabs the cup off the table and walks back out. Nobody says a word and you're forced to replay the game as a result. Yeah. Because Eventually. whatever, yeah, the, designate, the designated mm. taker doesn't take the penalty. Some uh, arcane GA rule is enacted to ensure that you have to replay the game. I mean, it's a bizarre, crazy time. Like, and again, you're 18 years old, thrown into this like big, massive story on a national on a national scale. Scale, yeah, yeah, yeah bizarre yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it, it stuck with me, I suppose, really for 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 that length of time, you know. But uh, look, it was it was one of those incidents that was, you know, I think over the years there's probably been many more, but uh, that's one that one that that's one that sticks in everyone's mind, Jim. Was there a major difference, Shane, in the <coughs> GA dressing room compared to the soccer dressing room? Because you played at the, the top level in this country, League of Ireland level. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I think the the um, the soccer dressing room was a far more militant dressing room uh, from any of the managers I had. Um, you know, it was far more um, aggression on it as well. I think you know, you you, you managers really who come in and just spit fire. You know, there was the hair dryer treatment and the cups of tea gone all over the place. A lot of it was nonsense. That stuff really, did go you know? on, yeah. Yeah, and you had a lot of you had a lot of confrontation between players and managers, you know, and, and uh, it's not something I've uh, I, I've been fortunate. I had fifty seven managers um in my career. <laughs> so fifty seven <laughs> and uh, that's quite a few managers and I'm sure I give plenty of them uh, a lot of headaches. But uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, the soccer ones were uh, very, very attritional and uh, 
it probably is the nature that you know. I think the soccer players in general that came from working class backgrounds, like a lot of GA players. But the, in soccer, you've got you've got a very very strong tribalistic nature uh, in relation to possibly it's 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 more it's professional, even though it's so unprofessional to call it professional. It's still you're in a professional environment, and you with guys maybe from from Dublin and, and places like that who some of them came across from from England back into the Irish league, and that was their living. That was their that was where they, where they made their money, and that was their their uh, how they put bread on the table. Where um, I was coming from a from a, a rural background, really, uh, even though a town environment, but rural and everything seems so innocent, really. You know, this GA background. We we just played for the crack and played for the fun, and okay, we we played the and we take the heads of one another when we were playing, but our lives didn't depend on it. And and in some cases, the players I played with at Lawn, um, it, it did, and um, it, it led to a different. Uh, I can see, uh, I can see why you know soccer by its very nature is so. Now it's so. Uh, it's there's no loyalty in it. I mean, it really is. It's 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 in some ways maybe corrupt it is the wrong word, but it certainly it's it corrupts the mind and the thought processes. And yeah, and, it doesn't uh, sound like a very enjoyable environment. Was that a positive experience in your life those um, few years? A couple of years, yes. I mean, you know, I played with with probably three or four really outstanding top class players like Barry Murphy played at Bohemians in Ireland, Rod Decores, uh, Val Murphy, um, Val Keenan. Uh, you know, these were really, really, really great players. Um, Frank Darby. They were superb players, you know, but then there was a few, you know, and you just came along and you knew they were just coming down to Atlon just for the for the jolly, pick up their money and then that, you know, and I suppose the most professional player I played with um in the in the time uh, that I was with Atlone, a couple of real good years we had a Premier Division level would have been Tommy Gaynor and uh, he was really he was just a good good professional but you knew he came from a professional background because uh, Tommy wouldn't be waiting around for the old envelope afterwards he was straight in and he, he got his cash and that's the way they looked at it and I, it's funny just coming up on the train um, I was just looking at the, the, the Conor McGregor story why he didn't attend the, the RTE bash and he said he didn't want any credit from RTE he just wanted cash and, and you know you can say well that's a very uh, militant approach he's adopted there but it's it's probably a lot of soccer players are very similar I think you know and, and it, it's, that's the view of the professionals and they get paid for what they're doing and that's it where the GA player he just says well I'm delighted to be going to a bash in an event like that and I'll go for free you know but uh, yeah I, going back to the dressing room um my my experience in the GA dressing rooms were always, you know, the manager in general was, was they weren't going to go galloping at you or anything like that. Oh, you were never going to seven of them or whatever. Yeah, it is. oh yeah, you're never going to get a a, a a cup of tea thrown at you or anything like that. <laughs> Some would be cross with you and, and take it out with you at times, but um, generally they were gentlemanly. You know, I remember the late great Dermot Early. He used to greet us going into training. He'd always say, "Good to see," you, and he'd shake your hands. You know, and uh, when you go to a soccer training session, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't get that type of warmth. I can tell you. You did have at least one great day, though. Uh, it still exists on YouTube. The last day of the '95 season against Derry City, who were coming down to win the league title. Uh, you were in goals, and you. Uh, I'm going to say you're, you're you're the person I'm going to say single handedly repelled them. Um, Phil Coulter is involved in this narrative in a in a sort of abstract way he is and it's funny it's, it's actually it's, it's unbelievable how how you know things in life kind of come around full circle Phil was um, he was president I think in Derry at the time and uh, I was in goal with, with uh, at Lawn I was their player of the year that year and I was on the League of Ireland uh, top 15 I think and that season as well and uh, I had a right good year and, and uh, Derry came rollicking down to Mel's and and uh, I think it was between themselves and Dundalk, and I think they had the better Dundalk's result uh, to win the, win the league. And I remember them uh, bringing in the um, the boxes of champagne that particular day. And Barry Murphy and I, Barry, great witty guy, you know, and he, he turns to me, Keiko, he says, hey, he says, look at them bringing in the champagne, you know. And I said, yeah, Barry, we might be having an old bottle of that afterwards <laughs> ourselves, you know. So Barry liked the old character, you know, he liked an old pint as well after, as we all did. And... and um, uh, yeah, we we went in and the game took off and, and we got off to a great start and uh, we were one up and um, great crowd. There must have been must have been ten thousand I think in Mel's that day. Rollicking crowd. Uh, Liam Coyle equalised with an unbelievable curler from the edge of the box just before half time. I played quite well in the first half and, and continued in the second half. And Stuart Gold um, had never missed a penalty for Derry in thirty six attempts and. Um, Lo and behold, I was lucky really to be honest because I actually slipped 
instead of diving the right side. And the ball just hits me hand and it goes out for a corner and, and, and uh, you know, yeah, I missed the penalty on you again and then and, and, uh, corner comes in and I grab it and, and uh, Rod DeCourse picks me up. Yes, Shane, that's great, that's great. We're going to get the draw today. And he was up for Dundalk. I think we had a few pound on Dundalk at the time as well. <laughs> so we won, the, we won a few quid and we got we got a couple of bottles of champagne out of, out of um, Phil going out the door as well. But um, I think... Uh, Felix Healy was their manager. God, he was not best pleased going out the door that day, you know. And, and uh, but that was just one of those things, and and um, it was it was a great experience. A couple of years we had in the League of Ireland, but we win the Club All Ireland, Bridget's in yeah. two or th- one three, uh, and the first person into our room to congratulate us on that night because he's playing in the Hudson Bay is the great Phil Gould. Oh, really? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you know, uh, eighteen years Close later, Bridget's fad. His son is is now the goalkeeper with with that lone town. So it's it's amazing, you know, how, how these things just come around, uh, Correct, yeah. come around and over time. Off the field, the the book is called the subtitle on the cover: the autobiography of a passionate, outspoken sportsman and entrepreneur. And on that entrepreneurial side, uh, there's an amazing quote. You, you you talk in the book about your time in school and uh, well, you've sort from dys- dyslexia for a start so school maybe was going to be a bit difficult for you I wouldn't say so for I, I think it's a great way of actually <laughs> actually been been uh, maybe uh, intellectually um tricked you know I think you 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 have a different mind um and the way you think about things and and school to me was a uh, great crack in school I can tell you it's unbelievable you know and, and even the guys you know that we still meet today now and again um uh, and some have asked for the book to be signed for them, and that's that they mentioned in the book. But we great crack, you know, and and uh, it was a great education in in a different way. Yeah, in a very um, different way. Because you say, there's a, there's, I've got a quote here from you. In fifth class, I made a conscious de- fifth class. Mm-hmm. I made a conscious decision to look at school as a place to connect and socialise, not a place to be educated. I just didn't have the capacity to be educated the way the the system was educating me. Which is a very, very amazingly self conscious decision to make at uh, at such young an age, at such a young age. Yeah, and and, and uh, you know, I have a very good friend, Aidan Kelly, who, who went on to work for Dennis O'Brien um, in South America, and he, he even now when we meet, he would say, you know, your brain used to think so differently about maths at the time, and I was really sharp at it, but the reason I was so sharp at maths is I used to play a lot of darts, and I could count and multiply <laughs> everything, you know, jeez, and I couldn't understand how I could do it. I think about uh, 180, though, or uh, 501, 501, but yeah. I, I could grapple with the figures, and I was actually learning to do maths, a completely different way, yeah, to yeah. how they could, how the, the, the main stream was teaching us but that once I started introducing the X and the Y's I couldn't find them on the bloody dartboard so I was gone um, so that was you know and uh, to this day and I'd always say that to me jeez I couldn't believe we couldn't uh, but I, I it's not that I struggled I struggled probably um, that way but I was also being educated probably formally um, through through older people and, and throughout my life I suppose on um, I, I've really my good friends are older than me and, and I've always um, spent a lot of time in the company of elderly people uh, I've been very very fortunate in my life as well to travel a lot and, and work away from, from, from the country a lot and see different things and meet different people different cultures and while you, it's not a, a, a mainstream uh Way of of learning, you you are actually learning in a different in a different way. Were you always confident then? Because some kids struggle in school, and it seems at the time like it's the end of the world for them. Uh, were you always confident, even uh, when you were in school, that okay, I, I know I just this just isn't for me, but I'm I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do okay. Yeah, I, and and again, that's probably just you know your gene your, your gene pool. I mean, I've been very born with a very positive disposition. Uh, Plus the fact sport gave me a huge platform as well, and and, and my own kids, um, I do always say to them, and any young kids that I'm, I'm, I'm ever involved with, or young people, um, the sport is a huge, it's a huge education uh, track for for people because of the contact you come into and the people you meet, um, and if you can marry that with, with mainstream education, it's it's great because you 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 get a very rounded personality and a very rounded person, um, and and sport gave me probably that confidence. I remember. Um, um, when we went into into vocational school, secondary school, um, the uh, the teacher that your your she she's he's your 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 guidance teacher, your career guidance teacher for for your your path in life, and uh, he asked me what I wanted to be, and I I said either a traveller, which by the by traveller I meant a salesperson mm-hmm. on the road, not 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 living on the side of the road, uh, or or a professional footballer, and he says to me. Uh, well, you can certainly do that, Shane. You can certainly be a traveller and a salesman, but not everybody, not nobody from this part of the world makes it as a professional footballer. And at that time, I felt to myself, 
what the hell are you doing in your job? I mean, your job is to try and create uh, an area where people can be positive about what they want to do. But it was alien to him. And uh, while I didn't go and become a professional footballer, uh, uh, the other part of, of my life has been relatively successful. Yeah. And with its own downfalls too. Exactly. You know, and the, the book... Uh, Charts some of the downfalls. Uh, you know, you had a company that w- went into liquidation. You had a young family, no income. So the that relentless positivity that you had, you know, it doesn't even come across that it was challenged. You were just right. Okay, that that didn't work out. On to the next thing. The next thing happened to be this uh, flood defence system. Uh, where exactly did the did the idea for that come from? Well, a lot of the, the idea for that came again from from necessity. Yeah. Um, you know, we and the human being is a funny creature. I mean, you, you will find ways and means of of grappling around things. Um, and I, again, I go back to it. I've been very fortunate. My business partner is usually positive. Uh, any of them that I have had, um, and uh, just a, just a marvelous guy, Jar. And we were just. We were in the middle of a flood in, in Galway, actually, as it happened in the yeah. back end of 2009, and we got our eureka moment, and we started getting into, into, you know, researching it and so on and so forth, and we came up with a design, and we partnered with a German company, so on and so forth. But we we actually knew when we were designing the product that there would have been, because of Jura's civil engineering background, there would be other applications for it. And it took a stick and it was on a, on a wide journey, you know, some would say, from... Because uh, I, I rang you, I rang you... Uh, and I think it was August of 20, it would have been July of 2013. Yeah. And I was asking you to to take part in the pilot of our TV show, which was happening in August. And you said, that's fine. I'm back from Mogadishu the week before or something like that. Yeah. So you're you're in Mogadishu in Somalia. And that, that like that's just a sample of some of the places that you've been on the back of this. Yeah, and on the back of that, yeah, and, yeah. and the education we've got from it, and been in Somalia with um, a military organisation between the EUTM and, and the UN, uh, a joint mission out there for uh, protection of the people there in Al Jazeera, and the military camp at, uh, at Mogadishu um, MIA. Um, it was just, I mean, it's it's a lifetime's uh, experiences rolled into the number of weeks we were there, and, and to see exactly then the work that the Irish military do there. Uh, is extraordinary um, and you know when I came back from it you just say how lucky you are um, to be coming back to a championship game in Roscommon you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know the depravity and the poverty and, and, and um, witness that and, and also on the other end uh, be very um, proud that you're you're making a, a positive contribution to society um, by protecting and, and putting up protection around around vulnerable people and uh, that it's it's hey look at it's it's a very easy product it doesn't take any great brains or anything, but um, you know it, there's a certain amount of, of pride in that. I, I imagine so, and you haven't taken your eye off the ball in terms of the, your sporting career either. You have retired, you finished playing, and you're straight into management with the club in Roscommon. This is, we've heard this over the last few days. That's right, on yeah. Um, I've taken up a position of senior manager with Porrick Pierce's, um, the rivals of, of our own club. Uh, Bridget's and and uh, I suppose in in many respects people would probably be some disappointed I suppose that uh, it's you've kind of seen to be turning your back on 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 a on a particular club or a particular genre of players that that you played with but um, again uh, I, I'm a very ambitious sporting person as well and and um, I'm a Roscommon person and I see um, management as a way and a tool to to um, improve maybe playing standards uh, and the players that, that will be coached by me over the next, certainly the next year now in, in Porrick Pierce's and, and develop a strategy where Roscommon players and Roscommon um, people can improve the game. Um, I think we're very insular sometimes in society that we we, we believe that, uh, you know, if you belong to a certain area, you belong to a certain parish, or you belong, there's a certain certain sense of ownership, you know, almost of your personality and your, your intellect. And in GA society, and probably in a lot of sporting society, people are afraid of sharing information. They're afraid of that that knowledge culture. They're afraid to, well, if I have an idea and I give it to Clana Gale, Jesus, Clana Gale are going to be better. Earth. But for me, I, I don't think it should work like that. I think you should be awful. You should be very open-minded about how you share your information, your ideas. Um, some are good, some are bad, but you, you put them into the melting pot and you take them out and you say, yeah, this is a good idea. Can it improve people? Uh, and my, my lifetime's ambition now is to win an All-Ireland for Roscommon. And um, you can only do that by putting in place um, 
protocols, procedures uh, that will develop our county and our players over the next 10, 15 so years. So you want to so manage Roscommon to that title? Yeah, the, well, I will. And um, the, the bottom line is that I see it as, as a 10, 15 year project where you've got, we got to get into the schools, we got to get people who, who are highly, highly involved and highly motivated to deliver that change. And I look at um, the likes of Armagh, it took them 100 and odd years, it took Tyrone 115, it took whatever, some other counties to win it, however many years to win it. And if you put the right... Um, if you put the right uh, structures in place, it can be done in any county, and particularly a county like Roscommon, where there is a very strong tradition of, of of Gaelic football, and we've got very very good players. But we're playing catch up with the stronger counties, and we're we're behind in terms of of that that knowledge, that scientific approach to the game, how the game changes. Is that not an, an insurmountable gap? Is it is it too ambitious to to, to to sort of state the aims that you're stating? No, it's not. I, I don't think at all it is own. I, I mean, if you look at my own club, indeed, or you look at Celtic or any clubs that have won or learned from small backgrounds, um, you know, it's from small acorns, big forests grow, and, and that's the way that's the way we got to look at it. Um, it's a long-term project, and you've got to be prepared to stick with it in the long term. Uh, and someday you will, there's no doubt about it, you will, you will get your rewards if you believe in it and trust in it. Uh, and you develop. Now, it requires investment, and it requires that investment to be put into and, and the seeds to be sown in the correct areas. And that is with the underage, that is with coaching, that is in our schools. Uh, and you drive that, you drive that particular message home morning, noon and night. And um, that's the only place it can start and that's the only place it can finish. It's interesting. Another challenge is the sort of parochialism, even within mm. clubs, let alone within, within counties. Uh, and you've already experienced that. You say that some people might be disappointed that you've left St. Bridges to manage another club. Now, you actually, St. Bridges wasn't your club originally and you left no. your home club to, to visit them. So you've probably seen this up close, uh, yeah. the, the, the impact that that has on people. Because this is the whole idea, this one club, one life uh, yeah, yeah. idea, which clearly you think is, I don't know, is it antiquated? Uh, I think it is. And I, I think perversely in some ways um, you can actually drive standards by, by going on and, and I'm sure uh, Bridget's will be motivated and it's not only Bridget's in Roscommon I mean Clanna Gale have uh, set out a, their, their intent with Paul Curran taking over Paddy Carr's taking over Bridget's I've taken over Party Pierce's there's rumours Eamon O'Hara's going to take over Western Gales's structure. so we've got a lot of, lot of top class there's a lot of, lot of top personalities there whether we're top class managers or not we're not I'm, I'm certainly not because I have to go back and prove myself now in that environment and, and see can I can I win and maybe it's the same for Paul Curran and Paddy Carr as well they're coming into new environments so they've got to prove themselves. They will be they will be measured on what they do and what they don't do. That's the nature of of sport. Um, so I, I think we have to get away from that nar- narrative and that narrow kind of mindedness. We have to be uh, prepared to be a lot more open um, on how we're, we develop the game. And uh, if you don't, I think I, I don't think you're going to get the rewards that you need to. Can you convince players? Can you can you convince guys growing up in Roscommon because everybody grows up with an idea of what their county's about? I'm not trying to be disparaging about Roscommon's history. Of course, as you say, uh, there has been success in the past, but they're not growing up in Kerry. They're not growing up in Dublin. Uh, is it going to take a bit of convincing of young guys to say that with it's a, a, a 14 year old now that when they're 24 they can be an All Ireland senior champion? Well, uh, you, you you convince them. It's like any relationship. You 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 convince them by having the proper people in the right places, and that is with your fourteen. But it starts with your eight, nine, ten year olds, uh, getting your county players to take ownership of the fact that they're they're whether they like it or not. And I think some some players uh, struggle with the fact um, that they are actually seen in in a small little way as icons in their own area. And and the term icon has has a more has a wider connotation here because you're talking about maybe a Messi or you're talking about Muhammad Ali, but in 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 rural Roscommon, um, for a young eight or nine year old, ten year old, his his life maybe revolves around Frankie Dolan, and Frankie Dolan mightn't actually think that he's been seen in, in this light or he, he doesn't have maybe the, I'm not saying Frankie Dolan there's other players of course Ellen Kilbride's the um, Carthys the Dailies the Johnny Shines there's any amount of them um, Caramanians all these guys but these guys are very highly thought of but in some kind of narrow way they, they don't actually feel the confidence to connect and I think that's what we have to do um, we have to get players to understand that yes they, ha- they are heroes and uh, and be comfortable with that 
and and almost take ownership of it. And any chance you get an opportunity to get to get into a school to give a positive word to a child, it may, it may be only one child, it may be two children. You don't know he's going to say, "Well, this guy made a difference to me," because I had them in my time. Um, in the book, I, I speak about Larry Cummins and people like that. And and funny enough, that was maybe twenty. Only it was only a quarter of a century ago at that time that Roscommon had won in All Ireland. It's now three quarters of a century. So, you know, you have to start somewhere. Um, you have to start building that confidence. You have to start uh, spreading the gospel, really, and, and that's what it's about. And uh, hopefully, uh, there's no doubt in my time it'll happen. I'm just thinking how annoyed my old supporters will be if Roscommon get there before <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, and they're not too far away either. Uh, you know, you have to give them unbelievable credit on, on, uh, as, a, as, a, as a county. Um, and I'm sure there'll be one mass party when they do win the All-Ireland um, I thought Kevin McStay would have been that man but Noel Kennelly and Pat Holmes now are, are the guys that are charged with it and to bring, carry the mantle that, that James Horden did over the last number of years and, and uh, there'll be no one uh, happier to see them doing it than, than ourselves in Roscommon because again it drives standards and, and uh, you know, yeah, you're know you trying to get up there with them and, and compete Do you give yourself a time frame in terms of how how thought out is the plan? Is there a time by which stage you want to be the Roscommon manager? Is there a time by which stage you want them? You, you feel that you could be a Connacht winning championship with uh, a Connacht championship winner, I should say, as a manager with Roscommon. Well, I I, I think it's a wider squad. I think to win a Connacht, I think by the time I'll manage Roscommon, I think the championships will be gone in their in their guys that they're in now. Anyhow, um, I, I think it's a ten to fifteen year project. Um, I think it's a project that needs to be mapped out. Um, with military precision really um, over that time and there needs to be an investment arm that comes in that's going to support that uh, and that's that's the huge, a huge ask and uh, I mean if somebody said if I said today that it needs it needs probably a million a year over the next 15 years to win Ireland you'd be laughed at but that is that's what it requires and it's certainly uh, in in early stages it needs 10, 15, 20 coaches to get into the schools and pay them the requisite fee to do that and maybe they're county players or ex-county players or even guys that are coming up that are, are coming through the the um, the the uh, College structure and the uh, education structure that's required because right. uh, to bring new ideas and formulate new ideas. Well, we wish you well in management, Shane, and uh, the book is called Cake. Well done on that as well. It's, uh, it's been a big yep. year. Thanks so much for talking to us. It's always a pleasure, and, and thanks very much for your support throughout the year, lads. It's been a great, great journey. Shane, Shane, Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42 year old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 be the last one. Bam. All the day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question. Did anybody deserve to lose at the Lara Club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen. And a bridges mate. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. Brilliant stuff there from Shane Curran. And I've got to be, got to be honest, I wasn't expecting us to be talking about a a tilt at the All-Ireland by Roscommon in any part of the conversation but that's how it goes yep. this is the positive the relentless Listen, positive if Donegal can about. do it Roscommon can do it you think? okay well Roscommon have a, uh, they've had brilliant teams in the past took the best team of all time to within three points in the 19 I don't need to tell you this on the 1980 All-Ireland final mm-hmm. um, won four Connacht titles in a row at that time you know Roscommon are you know they uh, and they are absolutely daft about football as well so listen stop See, this is it. This is more about this, more of the stuff that I was talking about at the start of the show, right? You're just taking down the West of Ireland there. You think the West of Ireland is in some way less than the rest of the country. Well, me and Shane Kern are here to tell you on no dice. What was the Conor McGregor reference? The uh, Conor McGregor, so, oh, yeah, yeah. So he was not at the RT Sport Awards yesterday, and uh, he has released a, a comment on Facebook uh, to explain his absence I appreciate the curiosity about my absence from this these sports awards credit with RT however is not what I seek it is cash and as executive producer of my six part, six part series Notorious airing January 26th cash is what they pay if it's pure sport you want though uh, and then he goes on to plug his uh, 
uh, UFC fight uh, in Boston on the January on January the eighteenth. So there you go. So um, yeah, it's not it's not the classiest thing of. I've ever heard, but hey, he wants he has a he has uh, placed a cash value on his appearances, and uh, Orty obviously did not did not match that. Well, but that's one interpretation. Um, I mean, to me, it's like it's. I wonder when Conor McGregor will will depart from the well worn Muhammad Ali playbook. Um, it's it would probably be too much for him to have a photograph of himself done with all the with you know stacks standing beside it stacks of all the cash he's won this year. It will be a smaller stack of cash, I assume, than Muhammad Ali won in that uh, in that famous picture. But you know, I mean, it's it's the it's the kind of typical. You remember Muhammad Ali talking to always be outrageous, the uh, yeah, gorgeous you know, George, uh, and they're saying, "I want to see this guy knocked out one hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, right. counting out the money to himself." So that seems to be the uh, quite obviously the the uh, you know. The message here, seen it done. McGregor. Seen it done. It's uh, we're almost out of time for the show here, and it's, a, it's it is a special time of year. We're all agreed. A couple of days before Christmas, so it's only right we finish up with a beautiful song created by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, but mastered by our own Ken Ernie. Come on, Ken. It's quite emotional. I'll protect you from the hooded claw. Keep the vampires from your door. When the chips are down, I'll be around With my undying, death-defying love for you Envy will hurt itself Let yourself be beautiful Sparkling love flowers and pearls and pretty girls Love is like an energy Rushing in, rushing inside of me The power of love A force from above Cleaning my soul Flame unburned desire Love with tons of fire Purge the soul Make love your goal Amazing. Real maturity in that. Oh, he puts the power in power ballad, Murphy, as far as I can see. I don't, I don't still don't really know why it's a Christmas stuff. Well, Christmas number one. Okay. It's, you know... Fair enough. That's good I mean, enough the, for the us. message of love is, is a festival. It's one. put us all in a good mood, Ken. We'll be here with lots of shows over Christmas and New Year. The next one is going to be out on Stevens' Day. So just when you've gotten completely bored and irritated by your family, uh, listen to us for an hour or so. Uh, in the meantime, thanks very much for listening to today's show. And happy Christmas, guys. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. 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 Happy Christmas, everybody.